The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. One of my favorite songs from years ago was Foreigner's I want to know what love is. As you'll recall, the chorus went, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. I know you can show me. Many of the guests we've had on this show tell stories of how they learned about the nature of love the hard way. And today's guest is no exception. But before I introduce him, I I want to remind you of the famous definition of love from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians chapter 13. I was reminded of it this past Sunday because it was part of the lectionary readings for many church services, and it offers a working definition of love from the eyes of Paul, a Pharisee who also was a near-death experiencer. Paul said, "I, If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. Our guest today, Robert Kaplan, MSW, had a near-death experience while serving on the USS Forrestal in 1956. Since then, he has studied and trained in secular psychotherapy, pastoral counseling, and hospice service, and has taught at all levels from kindergarten through college. He was a communications trainer for a national company, working with parents, teachers, clergy, therapists, law enforcement personnel, and executives in the United States and Canada. From 1992 to 1996, Robert taught adult development in the Transpersonal Counseling Psychology Program at Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. And since 2001, he has served as a volunteer chaplain at the Boulder Community Hospital. Robert, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you. Uh, good, good to, uh, good to have you here. And I thought, Robert, we, we should begin, um, if you would, by describing the terrible accident you were in all those years ago. Well, I was a plane captain on the flight deck of the USS Forrestal. Uh, 
1957. Um, I was not a pilot. I assisted the pilot, and I was responsible for the flyability of the aircraft. And on one given day, after six months of working on as a plane captain, uh, somehow I was pulled into the intake at, of my plane the, uh, uh, during the high power turn up and, uh, crashed into the, um, uh, turbine and, um, was critically injured and, uh, basically died. Uh, I had no life signs when they pulled me out and I was given last rites and, um, basically I worked in a highly dangerous environment with many aircraft, uh, parked very close to each other and the, with the sound and the movement and the, the, uh, Shifting of the the, the entire ship. Uh, uh, this happened in the North Atlantic, which could get very uh, turbulent at times. Uh, I was killed. Yeah, I, I think you've said that someone um, crawled in into the turbine after you trying to uh, trying to save you, but it was too hot for them to go in. Yes, one of my shipmates. Um, crawled in and attempted to pull me out, but couldn't withstand the heat. And so they had to wait the better part of 20, 30 minutes before the heat dissipated. And he crawled in again and cut my jacket off the turbine. My arms were uh, caught up in the blades of the uh, turbine. And my the, the jacket I was wearing was pulled over my head. And um, basically, it was a very uh, intense situation for him and the, the man who pulled me out, and uh, of course for me as well. Of course. Now, an interesting thing happened when they called for the chaplain, didn't it? Yes. Um, the, the chaplain was called, and um, I was uh, placed on the flight deck. Uh, not far from uh, where my plane was, uh, and um, my dog tag said that I was Jewish, but the only chaplain available at that time in the morning, uh, it was a pre-dawn uh, flight operation, and it was still dark, uh, but the only chaplain available was the Catholic chaplain. And so um, he was the one that was um, giving me last rites. Yeah, yes. Now you you've said that uh, you were watching all this from from above. Did did you feel you were out of your body even at the time you were um, still in the turbine? Uh, I don't recall any awareness uh, when I was in the intake. Uh, I was obviously unconscious and. Uh, had no life signs when they pulled me out, uh, but um, I didn't have an awareness of being in the intake at that point. 
my awareness, the first memory of my awareness was when I watched the chaplain pull out a lavender ribbon and put it around his neck, and he was on his knees and giving me last rites. It was at that point that I was um, uh, aware of his conflict. He did not want to be the person to give me last rites. He was Catholic, I was Jewish, and he uh, felt that the Jewish chaplain, who was not available at that time, uh, should be the one. And I somehow sensed, I used the word sense loosely, I just knew that he had uh, a conflict. Uh, what he didn't know was that basically I was raised in a very uh, Catholic-dominated uh, childhood. Uh, I was sent away to boarding schools as an infant, and um, this was due to the fact that my parents were divorcing and couldn't my mother couldn't take care of me because she had to work, so I was placed in Christian and Catholic boarding schools as an infant. Uh, and he, he was the right person to give me last rites, but he didn't know that. And yet you, and this is such an amazing part of your story, you were able to tell him, even though you were, you've been out of your body, that uh, that it was, everything was okay. Describe that part of the of the story to us. Yes, um, I sensed his conflict, and he um, uh, was in a great deal of conflict because he just didn't feel it was appropriate to give me last rites as a Catholic priest, um, and so I came into my body and opened my eyes and spoke to him. Well, I had no life signs, so when I spoke to him, he was stunned and had no words. He couldn't speak. And um, I, I said to him, uh, Father, you're not a rabbi. And he was just dumbfounded. I sensed this uh, conflict within him. And then I said to him, it's okay, Father, you'll do. <laughs> and he continued oh. to give me last rites. Yes. Um, th th there have been so many stories I've heard uh, from people who've had near-death experiences. They're out of their body, and they want so much, so badly to be go to be able to go back into their body and tell people that they're still alive, and they are not able to do it. And I think yours is the first time I've ever heard of... Uh, uh, of an incident where the, s the soul could re-enter the body and communicate something to the person who was helping them. Yes, and th another part of this, which is important, was that when I spoke to the uh, priest, uh, the, the Catholic chaplain, uh, I had absolutely no pain. There was no sense that I was injured or anything. It was a direct communication of what I felt was um, the conflict within him. And uh, somehow I came forward to assure him that he was f fine. He was the right person. And he was the right person. Mm. Um, I think you've said, uh, and this, this is uh, interesting too, 
you felt like you were, as you were out of your body, you felt like you were a light shining down on your body and on the, uh, on the priest. Uh, yes. It's very, very difficult to put into words the experience. Um, but I was, uh, people have often asked me if I saw the light. Excuse me one sec. Sure. And I tell them, no, I didn't see the light, that I felt that I was the light. And when I use the word felt, I don't really mean that. Uh, it was a direct experience that didn't really lend itself to a description. I, I was the light speaking. Mm. And uh, the fact that you were able to do this and, and, and let the priest know that you were still there was enough to really save your life because otherwise they'd have assumed you were dead and would have just uh, not tried to resuscitate you. Well, what they what happened was they took me down to sick bay, which is a fully modern uh, operating room uh, aboard this ship, which was only a year or so old. It was a state of the art uh, medical uh, facility, and um, I had no life signs when they put me uh, when they took me down to sick bay, and uh, but Father Fitzpatrick told them that I had spoken to him. And that um, on the strength of that, they attempted to resuscitate me, but they couldn't. And so they called Father Fitzpatrick again to come down and uh, give me last rites a second time, which he did. And um, after that, uh, they did uh, resuscitate me, and I had... um, you know, I, I, I eventually was stabilized, uh, but I was in tremendous critical condition with many fractures, and um, it was quite an ordeal. Uh, I did have pain. Um, my first memory of pain was when they took me down to x-ray. They took me out of the operating room to x-ray, and two corpsmen uh, proceeded to try to assess through x-ray the extent of my injuries, at which point I, I um, came into uh, a lucid awareness of what they were doing. I was very angry and very much in pain, and um, I went in and out of consciousness, but I, I recall the intense pain that I had. Mm. Were you angry because of the pain, or what What, what made you angry at that I point? I was angry because of the way they were handling my body. I was on a very hard x-ray surface, and they had to take extensive x-rays of my body, so they were moving me around probably as gently as they could, but it was very, very uh, painful. And so I was angry at them for how they were handling me. I think you you told me that you were the first person ever to survive uh, an accident of this sort, being sucked into a jet dermot. Uh, at the time, it was true. Um, this was a single-engine fighter plane that had 7,000 pounds of suction at full power, and nobody had survived uh, at that level uh, from an injury uh, similar to mine. 
most people that it was very rare back in 1957. It was probably only uh, a couple other incidences, but they they said I was the first person to survive under the same circumstances of that type of plane, a single engine plane with tremendous suction. Wow. Now, I, uh, you told me that um, you didn't really have a, uh, a classic um, life review, but that you had something uh, quite like it. Yes. Uh, watching them work on my body in the operating room at sickbay, I was fully aware uh, that I was watching my body, but I had no attachment to it. I knew it was, it was almost like I was looking at a costume and I was out of the costume. Uh, but I, um, uh, I forgot my, your question I had to do, say it again. Oh, your about, uh, about life review. Yes, I didn't have what is often cited as a, a life review going over events in my life. What I had, was a kind of a gestalt, a summary uh, of my totality of my life at that point. And the words that emanated from this awareness was that I am the love I seek. Mm. And that was the, um, the way that uh, this awareness uh, manifested in words. But it was a direct knowing uh, of, you might say, my um, reason for being in the physical, in in the in the physical world, was to realize uh, that I already was the love that I was seeking. As a child, I was I was not really part of a stabilized uh, home. I was uh, an institutional child and didn't really uh, come back and live with my mother until I was six years old. And then um, uh, when I was 10, I was sent off to another Catholic school because I was failing in school. And my mother believed in the Catholic tradition because she had studied music as a high school girl at a very esteemed uh, high school that had a, a music program in the city of Detroit. And after that, when she graduated, she went to a Catholic seminary to sub study uh, music at an advanced level. So she had a, a certain reliance on the uh, procedures and caring and the structure of the Catholic environment. Hmm. Um, I'm going to ask you a theological question now, uh, because the phrase, I am the love I seek, is such a powerful phrase it also incorporates I am, which is the way God described himself to Moses. And also the fact that you saw yourself as the light shining down on your body and on the priest. How do you understand that phrase, I am the love I seek? <clears throat> I think that the uh, common aspect of being in a human body in this physical plane is to seek some sort of um, harmony 
some sort of understanding of the uh, the reason uh, for being physical. Uh, in my case, it was an attempt to um, be included, to be in control, and to have affection. And so my early life was about just those three things, to be included instead of being in this um, very um, uh, institutional kind of setting where none of the kids were really um, seen. They were cared for, but not necessarily seen. And um, uh, my early development had to do with trying to control my life and uh, do the right things and not be ostracized because I wanted the affection and um, the, the, the statement of I am the love I seek was some sort of a, a composite awareness of the purpose that I was in this life. It was a struggle but it also contained all the elements necessary for me to be fulfilled. Uh, as harsh as it was, um, it was um, a statement that goes beyond my intellect, really. Speaking about it in words is very um, familiar, but it really wasn't about the words. It was about the direct knowing, and it didn't really involve the intellect. Uh, at all, but I used the words, and the words came to me just that way. I am the love I seek, because I could understand it uh, throughout my life um, as a uh, a loop, like a circle. That that the I am, which is very important uh, uh, words in in scripture, uh, which is very meaningful to me. You know. The whole Christian tradition was very important to me. Mm. And those words, I am the love I seek, it, it, it's as if I was being shown or somehow a, a direct experience of that truth. But it wasn't a truth that I could... Um, used to uh, what I would call uh, circumvent some of the uh, episodes in my life that followed. It was, it was within me, but I still struggled uh, for a long time until I reached the point where I recognized in a conscious way the, the near-death experience and, and how powerful it was in affecting my heart. When I heard that phrase from you that first time that I am the love I seek, uh, what flashed through my mind was the, the idea that perhaps we're channels for God's love and that the clearest times in our lives when we can best express that, may, it might be at, at the time you were out of your body, for example, and, and felt that you were the light shining down. Um, but during ordinary life as well, we, we can be channels for God's love and that, that would make us part of the I am. Yeah. Anyway, that, 
that was just my take on it when you when you told me that. Expand a little on the idea of the circle that you mentioned. Well, the circle has no beginning and no ending, and um, uh, it it contains an image, a symbol of what I feel is the um, nonlinear direct experience of life itself. You know, we 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 function in a uh, a cause and effect uh, belief system, at least here in the West. The Western psychology, which I studied extensively, uh, is rooted in cause and effect, and um, in 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 at the higher frequencies of uh, realities, uh, it's all happening at once, and and that is very difficult for us to uh, comprehend that the beginning of our life could be simultaneous with the end of our life. And the circle to me, you know, I, I often get images of um, what I would call um, illuminated awareness. Uh, we come through the birth canal, which when it opens is a circle. Uh, I was pulled into a jet intake, which was a, a circle. And, um, you know, the, the body itself is made up of not so much circles, but spheres. Mm. It's easier to draw a circle than it is a sphere. But from what we've been told through science, you know, everything is made up of uh, molecules and atoms, and they're always drawn as spheres in relationship to each other. And so... Um, the imagery that I get and um, uh, try to talk about or explain um, requires giving up the idea that things are actually in a, in a linear form, that they're all happening at once. I don't know if that helps you uh, with that. Yes. And, and uh, it leads me to my next question, which is... Uh, Something you said about uh, you described reality as a lucid dream parallel to imagination. Uh, yes, um, we possess what we call this faculty, and we've named it imagination, which is really a longer word for the word image. And um, most of what we experience, if not everything, is a result of how we image things, what we expect, what we desire, what we dread. We have this faculty we call imagination, and it is open and unlimited. But we often, through our conditioning and our journey, which is a spiritual journey in a physical sense, it's a simultaneous um, dynamic of being a spiritual being within a form, a body that has a culture and different. But we um, live in a way that is um, seamless, and we use our imagination all the time, usually through what we expect to happen. 
As children, we don't have expectations. We discover things directly. But as adults, we limit our discovery by having preconceived ideas and memories of other events uh, that um, keep us focused in a linear way. Where, as a child, I remember having a number of experiences that were not really linear. Um, as early as four years of age, uh, I knew that I was in this life, but I didn't know why. I didn't know how. I just knew that I was from somewhere else. You also said, uh, uh, and this might be a, a good note to end on, the NDE is always there. It's always speaking to me. Oh, yes. Yes, it's, it's, yes, it's, it's as, it's as frequent and common in my awareness as taking a breath, inhaling and exhaling. Um, I'm never more than seconds away from having some reference to being in this life in some sort of a cosmic way, a way way beyond uh, my intellect to understand it. I think that my conditioning has um, been attached to wanting to understand things, but I cannot figure life out. So to me, life is um, experienced directly, but it can be complicated by thinking and trying to use um, linear thought and concepts. You know, we've been enculturated to think about things, and yet the thinking itself is is present and uh, automatic. It's just inherent within what we could both call the I am. Yes. Well, Robert, unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Um, uh, Robert, tell the listeners how they can find your website. My website is uh, Robert Kaplan, HFC, which stands for High Frequency Communications. So it's Robert Kaplan, HFC, Dot com. Okay, and Kaplan is, Kaplan is spelled with a C. Yes, C-A-P. Kaplan with a C. Okay. My thanks to you, Robert, for uh, for really uh, um, a wonderful show. And, Thank um, you. For, Thank share, for sharing your story with us. Um, if listeners would like to listen to this show again or any of our past shows, uh, just go to our website at nderadio.org and hit the past shows button. And for information about IANS, go to their website at IANDS.org. And be with us again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.